You're listening to the Pastor Chat Podcast, a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Dadeville. Welcome. This is episode six of the Pastor Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Forrest Jones. I'm Zach Brown. And I'm Ben Hayes. And we are going to talk about worship. I know you thought it was about forgiveness, but instead we are mixing it up. We're going to talk about worship today. And Brother Ben, will you give us a little rundown of your sermon? Well, you know, one of the things that we have faced, Forrest, over these last few weeks is when do we need to start back to church? And I mentioned yesterday in the in the sermon that uh, we've been asking the wrong question because everybody's been talking about, well, is the church essential? And of course it is. We we know the church is essential and all that it does. And our church has been on the front lines here in, in Dadeville and, and around our community trying to make a difference in the lives of, of the people. And uh, the question is not, is the church essential? The question is not about a building. The question is about why do we need to get back to corporate worship? And that is so very important that we understand this. This has nothing to do with your personal preferences or my personal preferences. It has nothing to do with with, uh, whether you watch online or whether you actually come into service in the sense that that is a choice that you have to make based on your relationship with the Lord and, and your conversations with Him and your personal situation. We do understand that there are those who have uh, underlying issues, that have health issues that that would make them more susceptible to this virus. And we do not want to expose anyone unnecessarily. So we've taken lots of precautions to make sure that doesn't happen. But I feel very strongly that, that worship is the single most important thing that we do as believers. And I think we'll come back to that and talk about that in just a little bit. But in Paul's writings to the church at Hebrew, uh, to the, the Hebrew Christians in Hebrews chapter 10, he gives us that all important verse. He says, uh, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And a lot of people take that as a critical verse or as a judgmental kind of verse. And I know I mentioned this yesterday, growing up, that was the verse that all my pastors pulled out when they wanted to uh, get on the church about not attending as much as they should or or, or whatever the situation was. But it really is not uh, judgmental in any way. It is an encouraging verse because what Paul is telling us here is that worship is essential in the life of the believer because worship is the place where every element of worship, the, the reading of Scripture, the praying of prayers, the singing of songs, the preaching of the Word, and the fellowship that we have as believers, where that all comes together in such a way that the Holy Spirit can 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 bring them to bear in our hearts and lives to uh, start that transformational process that we need. And it's not just the process of salvation, but it's it's the sanctification that is the ongoing process in salvation. And it's what we need every week because we're going into a world that is filled with sin and despair, facing people who have question after question, facing people whose hearts are broken and facing people who are who are having to make decisions that that uh, they're not equipped to make because they do not have the the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to assist them but it's our responsibility as believers to go into the world and make a difference in the lives of these people and the only way we can do that consistently 
The only way that we can do that without burning out, the only way we can do that without being overwhelmed ourselves is, is if we come together to worship as the body of Christ, where, as Paul says, we are encouraged, where we consider each other in order to stir up each other to, to love people and to do good works. And so that's been the focus of, of this message and, and, and talking about where, what worship really is and what worship really does in our lives. When we, we looking at this moment in time, we do have to kind of give that disclaimer of this was not a chance for us to try and make people feel guilty that weren't here yesterday. Um, you know, that we are recording this the day after we, we resumed our in-person services. Um, and I think we all were, were pleased with the amount of people that, that felt comfortable coming out yesterday. We had some great worship services. Um, and we know that there are some who are not ready to come back. Um, and if that's because of health reasons or um, your concerns about the safety, we understand that. And we're supporting your decision um, right now. So this is not us saying, you know, man, we need to twist some arms and get more people here. Um, as much as it is to say, we need to be intentional in our decisions. This is not just a matter of, well, you know, I just, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see as much as if you really feel that there's a safety issue, those kind of things, that's one thing. Um but I know some people that listen to this podcast will be in that crowd that says, you know, I don't think it's safe. And I, I don't right now, you know, I don't feel like it's time for me to come back. And we, we love you and we support you. We want you to know that you're still part of our church family. Um, but at the same time, it is important to worship corporately. It's important to gather together. Um, I, I found a quote from Martin Luther and, uh, it said, um, Martin Luther found corporate worship powerful in awakening his spiritual fire. He says, at home in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. Um, and I thought that was just a really good reminder of the fact that there is something different about gathering together. Um, even gathering with your own family in your house, there's a difference than gathering with the family of God, the you know, your spiritual family. Well, of course, you know, one of the things that, that we are as human beings is we're creatures of habit. And when we start doing something habitually, whether it is attending church or not attending church, it is difficult to break that habit. And as believers, we are commanded to assemble together to worship. That is the basis of what Paul is writing here. And the importance of that cannot be uh, stressed enough. The problem is that we develop a habit of not attending church, and it becomes easier to make those excuses. Uh, even before all of this pandemic started, I would, would deal with people, especially a lot of our senior adults and, and shut-ins who would, every time I would visit them, every time I would talk to them, they would say, oh, pastor, you don't know how much I wish I could be back in church. I, I just want to be back in church. And I would always tell them, listen, God knows your heart. He knows what really is the desire of your heart. He knows that that you cannot attend right now, and that if you could attend, you would be there. But the truth is, that goes for those people who could attend, but who choose not to attend. 
God knows your heart. And, and while we love you and we want you to, to, to do what is best for you, we also want to be clear in, in stating that as believers, if you can go out to eat at a restaurant, you can come to church. If, if you can go out to the grocery store where you're passing strangers all day long, you can come to church because we're practicing the same social distancing measures that they're practicing at the grocery stores. And, and that's something that when we talk about this, it's really easy to kind of chalk this up to one of those like legalistic discussions where we're, you know, you might feel like we're sitting here saying that if you're not the person coming right now, that you're in the wrong, that that there is something wrong about not gathering here. And, and we're not saying that. I mean, there are Christians all over the world who are living in countries who are closed off, who cannot go to corporate worship services. They are still able to faithfully, faithfully be a part of the universal church. But specifically, just looking at the importance of the local church body, um, this this weekend we had a friend come into town, and I got to take him to Oscars for his first time. Okay, which was great. Love getting to introduce somebody to Oscars Cafe. Um, and it's funny with you know Brother Ben with you talking about how people are habitual. I don't think there's been a time that I've gone to Oscars and not gotten a wood grilled cheeseburger. Um, it's amazing. It's what I always get. I love cheeseburgers and theirs are about my favorite, but I'm very picky about my cheeseburgers. And so I, for instance, I don't like raw tomatoes, so I don't put them on my cheeseburger. I don't like mayonnaise, so I don't put it on my cheeseburger. When I'm ordering what I want to eat, I'm very selective on what I do want to put on it and what I don't want to put on it. And I think that's something that we kind of tend to view the world as, is we want a selective world where we can choose what we want to apply and when we want to apply it, what we do want and when we want it, and things like that. And if we're not careful, then we take something like church, which is a super important part of a Christian's life, and we view it like onions on a cheeseburger. It's something that, well, we don't really want right now, and we can just substitute it out and come back. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe at another time I will want onions on my cheeseburger and I can put it back on. But it's so much more important than that. And that's what we're really getting at is not that, that it's necessarily good or bad that you weren't here yesterday, you know, that, but, but really looking at where is our individual hearts when it comes to this, are we staying away because of a legitimate health reason? Are we staying away because of things like that? Or is this something that we just have gotten so in the habit of viewing church as something that is able to be substituted for something else? Yeah, and I think the thing there is, while in this moment, it's at the forefront of our mind because of COVID and, and, and kind of what we've been going through, this is not something that is happening because of this virus. Um, in fact, we have the, the dangerous virus of apathy which has been affecting the church for generations and especially in the last few years, you know, research is saying people are coming to church less and less. Even people who consider themselves church attenders are coming into the church building less often. Um, and I think you're hitting on a good point there, Zach, about I've heard it referred to as kind of a consumer Christianity. Mm -hmm. The idea of, well, what's in it 
for me. And and like you're saying, I always think of the a la carte. Like, well, I like that and I don't like that. And so I'll take a little of this. Um, yeah, I like the social gathering part. We'll do that. But that coming to church every Sunday morning, like it's so early, uh, which I'd like to point out, <clears throat> probably meets later than your office expects you to be there every other day of the week. Um, but it's just the idea of we we start looking at it from that idea of, well, I don't really... I don't really have to do that. It's not that big of a deal. Um, and so we start kind of making excuses. We get into this habit of deciding where our priorities lie. And unfortunately, um, if we're not careful, we'll start prioritizing a lot of other things. Um, and it's just a matter of what really is important. Um, well, I, I like Zach's illustration of, of the cheeseburger, partly because I'm hungry right now and the cheeseburger <laughs> sounds real good. But but also because it it really describes our mentality as as American Christians, we do want to pick and choose what we believe in the Bible, what we don't believe in the Bible, how we should behave as Christians, how we shouldn't behave as Christians. I was um, appalled this morning. I, I received a, a message from one of my nieces, and um, it was a picture of uh, Jesus overturning the, the the tables of the money changers in the temple. And underneath it was the caption, someone makes the statement that we should not be uh, burning and looting and destroying people's property. And then they said Jesus, and then the picture, the idea is, well, Jesus did that when he was trying to make a change in the Jewish community. And I'm appalled by that kind of mentality to compare what Jesus is doing with the looting and the rioting that is going on in our country today because it's it's that consumer mentality. Jesus, when he did that, he didn't destroy people's property and he didn't take the property for himself. He was trying to do something that was, was critical in the mindset of the Jewish nation to get them back to where, where God wanted them to be. The problem is we can, when we pick and choose, what parts of the Bible, when we pick and choose what parts of Christianity we want to follow, we can basically uh, make whatever decision we want to make and rationalize it, justify it in our minds so that we can do whatever we want to do. Yeah, I, I think that's so true that we can take the Scripture um, you know, and twist it. That's why, as I mentioned the other week, context is so important. I know you mentioned yesterday in your sermon the idea that context both in the, the text and then the kind of cultural context as well. Um, you know, that's where an example of cleansing the temple would be a cultural context as well as scriptural context because this is not Jesus looting the target. You know, this is he's purifying the temple because it had become a place of commerce instead of worship. Exactly. Um, and so I think that's the thing. You've got to have that whole context. That's one reason why it's so important that we don't just pick out random verses. Um, you know, the, the term for that is proof texting, where we come up with the idea and then we just go through the Bible and try and find every verse we can think of to try and prove our point. Um, and unfortunately, that's what people have done with the Bible for so long that they think that's an acceptable use of the Bible. It's, well, I can prove my point. Uh, you know, it's the whole thing of statistics. What is it? 77% of statistics are made up. 
know, and I just made that statistic up, but um, the same way, we can make the Bible say a whole lot of things. Um, we we live in a video world now, and just looking at all of these, you know, if you're on Facebook or any kind of social media right now, it's probably getting blown up with videos and people's quotes and everything. And you should always look at that stuff with a grain of salt and some suspicion because you can edit things down and you can take a few phrases and splice them and cut them right at the right moment and change context, change what they're saying. Um, people do the same thing with scripture. And so, um, you know, I think that hits on a point you brought up yesterday, which we really haven't talked about this morning, but the idea that one of the values of corporate worship is that there is someone else involved other than yourself. And it can, um, maybe keep you honest would be a way to say it. The idea that if we are a body and we are accountable to one another, um, and I think that is a key ingredient of the church is there is an accountability there. Um, that if we're looking at these ideas, you know, by having other people involved in our worship, other than just us choosing our own things and getting to do it all ourselves, it can help us stay true to what the word really says. Because if you stood up on a Sunday morning and um, I've, I think I've mentioned this a few times when I've preached. I know y'all have said it as well. We want everyone here, anyone listening to our voices, to check what we say. You know, look at the Bible and look at what we're claiming. And if they don't line up, then we're wrong, not the Bible. As long as the Bible is being used properly, read in context, you know, then that's what our final authority is. Yeah, accountability is is so important. And that's that's one of the things that, that corporate worship does It. It helps us to to be held accountable to our our friends and neighbors. Um, going back to to your point there about uh, the the difference between corporate worship and private worship. Corporate worship, we are led by others. In private worship, we pick and choose what we're going to do. Um, Sonia and I watched a movie uh, last week on Pure Flix. I think it's it was called A Man Called John, and it's about a another denomination's pastor who uh, gets moved to a, a church and the current associate pastor had been preaching there for the last six months. And every week he preached against fornication and the whole congregation was, was mad. He said, you know, they, they were making comments like there wasn't that much fornication going on in the world, but every week that was the choice of his message well, you didn't know why he was doing that towards the end of the movie when you found out that his wife had left him and had an affair with another man. And so his personal situation caused him to focus on this one sin. And typically that's what happens when we are doing our, our own personal uh, devotion is we focus only on those areas that are comfortable to us or that that uh, is is foremost in our minds. Whereas in corporate worship, we have other people feeding into us and helping us to to deal with larger issues, bigger scope issues. Yeah, you, you made the the statement, and and we should kind of unpack this some um, that corporate worship is the single most important thing um, that we as believers do. Yeah, um, everything that we are, everything that we do 
really can uh, stems from the quality of our corporate worship. And I'm not just I'm not talking about the quality of the music. I'm not talking about the quality of the preaching. I'm talking about the quality of our own uh, worship in a corporate setting, because we know what we're supposed to do, but so many times we don't do it. It's kind of like the pep talk before a, a, a football game. Uh, you, you get into the locker room and the coach gets in there and and he starts trying to motivate the players. Uh, <clears throat> you've gone through all the training during the week, through the practices. You, you know the plays. You know what you're supposed to do. But that pep talk is what brings it all together and helps you to go out and, and play the game. Well, through our Sunday school time, our d- discipleship time, small group times, all of those things are the training that prepares us. But then on Sunday morning, we come together as the body, just as Paul says in, in this verse, to encourage one another, to spur each other on to love and good works. And, and so we are motivated in the corporate worship. We are in in filled with the, the the Holy Spirit to empower us to do the the love and good works. And so everything that we are and everything that we do really comes out of the quality of our worship in a corporate setting. And that really starts to dig into like, so one of my spiritual gifts is like education and looking at how the church educates the, the, the members. Um, Teddy Roosevelt said this, he said, um, you may worship God anywhere at any time, but the chances are that you will not do so unless you have first learned to worship him somewhere in some particular place at some particular time. Um, which kind of has me thinking about a, a quote from a or another quote uh, from from J.D. Greer um, in a study in Ephesians that he did, um, and he said it like this. He said, in, in talking about specifically this topic, and talking about church involvement and why it's important for for people to be plugged into a local church body, he said this. He said the head accomplishes its purpose via the members of its body. That means if you disconnect yourself from the church, you are disconnecting yourself from the power of God. In fact, I would say that you have no real right to ask for the power of God if you intentionally neglect or separate yourself from the means of that power. Amen. God, I need direction in my life. And God says, I put that direction in my church. God, I need help and healing. Again, it's in my church. God, I'm so lonely. God says, go to my church. God, I don't understand you. Go to my church. I put all of these gifts and ways that I want to minister to you and work in your life in my church. So if you want God to work in your life, you've got to be a part of his church. And and I think that that's one of the things that that word right there um, intentionally neglect. Because that's the church is so important when it comes to like learning how to be a Christian, what it means to be a part of this. So much of this is, yes, we, like like this Theodore Roosevelt quote, like, yeah, you may worship God anywhere at any time, but chances are you won't do it unless you first learned to worship him somewhere in some particular place at some particular time. Um, and I think that is the issue when we, when we try to come at it, like Brother Ben said yesterday with this kind of, kind of lone ranger mindset of Christianity, like, we yes we can be apart from the body at certain points in time but what we do apart from the body 
needs to be inspired by what we learn while being a part of the body. And that's why, why this is so important, not, not because we're, we want you to check off some kind of box or it looks good, you know, that we have X number of people coming on Sundays. That's not what we care about. It's about that, that when we gather together and we come together as a local body who is, who is teaching and inspiring and sharpening each other, that then we can do those things that involve us going out from the church, going out beyond the walls and taking the stuff that we're learning inside the church. Then we can take it outside and apply it in our life. But it has to start with truly coming together, gathering and learning exactly what it means to be a part of that body. Let, let me ask you guys a question. As Zach, as you were talking, especially the quote from J.D. Greer, uh, my mind went to 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul begins to talk about the church is the body, and he, he begins to describe what happens when parts of the body don't function. And, and so many times, as I know as a pastor, what when I read that scripture and I preach on that, I'm talking about the importance of the individual member to the functioning of the body, which I think really is a big part of what Paul is saying, that if individual members do not do their job, then the church can't function to its ultimate uh, uh, ability. But should we maybe emphasize the other side of that? For example, and, and please, what I'm about to say, do not try this at home. This is not one of those <laughs> things that I want you to experiment with. All right? Don't take me literally with what I'm about to say. Cut off one of your fingers. All right? Now, don't do that. Please. But if you cut off one of your fingers, you can still do work, right? I mean, you might be hampered, but you'll adjust. And, and you know, we see people all the time who, who perform exceedingly well with, with nine fingers instead of ten fingers. But look at that finger. If you keep it around long enough, what's going to happen to that finger? It's useless. It, it withers. It dies. There's nothing there. Why? Because it's been cut off from the source of life. Should we maybe emphasize that point, maybe a little more eloquently than that, but should we emphasize that point in our teachings as well? Well, I think that's where, you know, you have Christ talking about, you know, the vine and the branches. It's the same idea that, yeah, if you're broken off from the larger body, what's going to happen? You're going to wither and die like a pinky toe or, <laughs> or a branch. You know, the, the idea there, um, this, this relationship, is we're so intertwined or we should be so intertwined with each other that, yeah, where, where do you separate these relationships? How does that work? Um, you know, because our corporate worship, I think is part of a larger relationship that you have to have, because I think some people will say to our comments about how important corporate worship is or, or those kind of things. Well, I went to a church and I sat in the back and nobody talked to me. And I left and that, that wasn't, you know, it didn't really have any effect. So I don't understand how this could be that important. And I think the thing there is the mere presence of sitting your hind in in a pew is not the same as corporate worship. Exactly. That this is, um, there is much more to this than just simply darkening the door. Um, but this is really a relationship that is much more complex than just simply a person standing on a stage talking to people sitting in seats. 
Um, yeah, what you put into worship really affects what you get out of worship. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and while we're digging into controversial topics, I personally believe that the Sunday morning gathering and the the worship time is primarily aimed or its primary purpose is for the Christians of our body. Um, so long we have treated that as almost an evangelistic event. Um, the idea being, well, if you just invite people to church, that counts as evangelism and they'll hear. And now hear me out. I specifically, or I make a point every time I preach to, to preach the gospel. Cause that's what we do. We are gospel preachers. Uh, I heard a quote that said, if your sermon could be preached in a synagogue, it's not a sermon. You know, if, if, mm -hmm. if it would be comfortable in anywhere else other than a church, it's probably not a gospel sermon. So don't get me wrong. We should be preaching the gospel because we should never assume that everyone in our hearing is in fact born again believers. But the idea that we should create our church services, that they are not for people who know the Lord, I think is wrong. I think that it primarily is a gathering of the family of faith. Well, I, I agree with you, Forrest, and, and Charles Spurgeon made this point when someone asked him about his preparation of ser sermons. He said, I, I select the text, and then I head for the cross. And, and that's what it's all about. We, we, we are people of the gospel. We are preachers of the gospel. And the gospel needs to be a part of our message. But I think you're absolutely right. You read the book of Acts, and you do not find them bringing lost people into the worship service in order to evangelize them. The worship service was for believers. They went out into the world, made the, 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 the conversions through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then those converted people came into the church for worship. That's one of the things I love so much about, you know, just to kind of shamelessly brag on our church a little bit, um, one of the things I love about our church and in, in the form of like our staff is that I don't think there is an age group, a gender group, any kind of little subgroups of our church um, that does not have a pastor pouring into them as much as they can. Like um, I know a lot of times, I don't know, Forrest may share the, the sentiments here, a lot of times, especially with dealing with the younger ages of the church, you know, you usually think of children's ministry and you think of coloring sheets and VBS and you think of youth ministry and you think of, you know, lock-ins and pool parties. Um, but one of the things that I've loved being here is just hearing everyone's heart for the gospel and for the kingdom work here. Um, like you work with kids teaching them how to have a strong biblical foundation. Um, we, I work with youth trying to teach them how to have these strong biblical foundations. Um, you continue to minister to families. Brother Ben continues to minister to all of us. You know, <laughs> Brother James ministers to all of our, all, all of our older people. Um, because that is something that is so important to us that that, that we are engaging people and building them up spiritually so that they can stand on their own in their faith. Um, Zach, one of the things I, I want to shamelessly plug our church too, I agree with everything you just said, but what I love even more 
is that I see James working with the youth and children. I see Forrest working with the youth and senior adults. I see you working with senior adults and the the youth. And and there's this interaction that is going on that I think is a picture, the model of a healthy church. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we really do care about each person who comes into this church. Um, and that's why we do what we do. Um, in, in reference to this, uh, David Platt said something a, a few years back uh, in talking about kind of what you brought up for us about, you know, what is the Sunday morning service for? And and in discussing this with some other pastors, he said that that his heart, when he gets in the pulpit and is, and is preaching a gospel message on, on Sunday, when he is preaching to his congregation, his hope is that through his, through his, you know, services and through his discipleship that, that he is training up the people in his church and discipling them to where his example was they don't have to go to soccer practice and invite the other parents to church. They can go to soccer practice and be able to share the gospel at soccer practice. Um, because ultimately that is the function. One of the main functions of the church is equipping and discipling. Um, and creating disciples who can then go out and build and, and make disciples. Um, I like watching American Ninja Warrior. I don't know if you've ever watched that. <laughs> um, however, I can sit there and I can watch somebody else doing those stunts for, I can sit there and watch that show for six hours straight. And then I go to our like uh, playground over here at the church and I'm going to get across the monkey bars once. I might get to like the last one before my hands slip off. I can't do all of those stunts just because I watched somebody else on TV do them. The people who are doing those stunts didn't just magically wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to go get on American Ninja Warrior. They have taken time and worked and trained and learned how to go and do that so then they can go and compete. And that is a function of the church. A primary function of the church mm-hmm. is coming here and being discipled and learning how to do these these things so that, yes, church does exist past these walls because we are a, a body who truly believes in discipleship. And we truly believe in, in making disciples who make disciples who make disciples in that, that real biblical model of discipleship. But the disciples, the 12 disciples, they started with being discipled themselves. Yep. And, it, and it has to start there for us too. Well, I think that's going back to the the verse in Hebrews that that um, was the sermon was about yesterday, the idea that they're building one another up. Um, and that's where you look at that and say, because of these relationships, we are building one another up. That is, and then that's taking place in the corporate worship as well. You talked yesterday about there being a fog that um, if we're not careful, we can end up in this kind of spiritual fog. And I know you, you talked about it yesterday, and, and we would all agree, these last few months of preaching and teaching to a camera are so difficult. And, you know, it, it has been easy to kind of feel like, well, we're just kind of slugging along, you know, trying to see. Um, and for some reason, this is quote week, but... Uh, there's a guy named Brian Croft who um, does a lot of church revitalization work. And he, 
he made a comment I found that was actually made years ago before all this Corona virtual church mm-hmm. stuff. But uh, he said, I like talking to my wife on the phone, but a phone conversation can never match the powerful impact of sitting across from her face to face and talking with her as I look her into, look into her eyes. Likewise, there is a powerful connection made between a shepherd and his flock when he preaches God's word to those who have been thinking about and praying for as he prepared. The Holy Spirit uniquely uses eye contact, facial expressions, and body language in both the preacher and his hearers to create a powerful connection between them during a sermon. A pastor feeds off the visible reactions of his hearers. A congregation is moved by the pastor's burden over their souls conveyed in the sermon. And I thought, what a great picture of, uh, you know, most of you have probably never stood in the pulpit and preached to a room full of people. Um, But there's something very unique about doing it. And to be able to see y'all's faces and to, you know, think about the people that we love as we preach to them is a very different experience than simply talking to a camera, even though we, we are still preaching to the same church body. There is, there is a unique aspect about being together. Um, And I think, you know, you talked yesterday about the fog Mm -hmm. and I think that that's a perfect example of no matter what, just that distance is going to create some strain to relationships. It's going to make things more difficult than by being together. Well, in, in talking about the fog, I think I think you've hit a, on a, a good point there. And uh, anybody that's ever tried to uh, speak in any way in front of a congregation sees this. If you've got a congregation or an audience in a secular talk that is bored, falling asleep, uh, not into what you're saying, it is hard to to motivate yourself to to speak. But when they are with you and they're interacting and and motivating you further, uh, then it, it really changes the, the style of your delivery. It changes the, the passion that, that's within you. But so many times we see this as we spend our week in the world doing worldly things that our mind gets filled with, with so many things that, that almost cause a, a clutter, a spiritual daze to, to hit us. And, um, if we're not careful, it will affect us to the point that when church time rolls around on Sunday morning, we allow those things to keep us from making that decision as a family, as an individual, to go to church because all of a sudden we don't see the need as much as we might. But we get into church and all of a sudden things start to clear up. We enjoy the worship. We enjoy the fellowship. The, the message isn't half bad, and, and all of a sudden, we, we're glad that we came to church. We go home, and we're excited, and we're feeling good, and Monday rolls around. We go back into our everyday routine, and we begin to lose that fire, that passion that was built up. And it's all because of the need that we have for corporate worship. It, it has a way of, of waking us up and clearing our minds and helping us to see the truth. Yeah, I think kind of wrapping things up, I think he ties back in with that Teddy Roosevelt quote you mentioned earlier. Um, and that idea of, yeah, we can worship everywhere. We should be worshiping as we go through life in every moment. But if we're not taking these times to go, join together corporately, then very quickly the things of life are going to choke out 
you know, those weeds are going to come in and choke things out. We're going to kind of lose that sight of what's important. You know, so often you hear people say, oh, I can, I can worship God in a tree stand or, you know, and that's true. I've sat in a tree stand before and it's quiet and beautiful. And you just look at God's creation and you can be like, man, this is, I'm in all of this. But when you're choosing to do that over joined together, then very quickly you're going to stop having your eyes on the things of the Lord and you'll just be looking at trees and waiting on a deer. So, um, you know, I think while it sounds a little controversial at first, I think your statement that, you know, just how important corporate worship is, and it's so important because it affects every other area of our life. You know, if we're not doing this, it's going to affect your Bible reading, your praying, all of these things, they're all tied in together. Um, that we can't emphasize enough the importance of of gathering together to to worship. I'm I'm basically an introvert um, that God has used to do extroverted things. Um, I, I'll be honest with you, uh, I I kind of was looking forward to. Easter Sunday, when it was just Sonia and me here at the church and everybody else was at home worshiping online. But I got to admit to you, after a couple of weeks of just eight or nine or 10 people here in the sanctuary, it became more and more difficult. That last Sunday, last Sunday before we, we came back to, together, was almost impossible to get motivated to do the worship and to, to preach the word. Uh, why? Because nobody was here, and and there was no one to to respond. Now you guys are great. I appreciated you guys being here and all that you were doing, but uh, it just isn't the same as when the body of Christ comes together. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, we are about out of time, so it looks like it is time to reach into the bucket of truth and find <laughs> our question. Well, th this is an interesting one. This is out of our bucket of truth. And uh, <laughs> keep in mind that we did not write these. We're just pulling them at random. Random. It says, I guess, which would you rather uh, be baptized by John the Baptist or hear Paul speak to a crowd about Jesus? Wouldn't you know I'd get the, the religious yeah. one? Well, I mean, they are Bible-based, so they should oh, all okay. somewhat be all right. religious. All right. Baptized by John the Baptist or hear Paul speak to a crowd about Jesus? Hmm. I'm going Paul. I, I think I'm going to go Paul. I mean, and here's my, my rationale. There were a lot of people who got baptized by John the Baptist who probably aren't even going to be in heaven. Just throwing, I mean, you think about it. There were people in the lead up before Jesus yeah, who, they were Old Testament. Yeah. yeah, who were probably just doing it from the idea of, I need to be a very observant Jew, and I feel like this this guy, the crazy guy in the wilderness, is the one who's going to help me do that better. I think, I think I'm going to have to go with Paul. I think that would be... Uh, now, it might get you stoned, like, <laughs> while you're standing there with him. It didn't always go over well, but I think I'm going to have to go with Paul on this one. Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going with Paul all the way. Yeah, I guess uh, we'll have to make that unanimous. Uh, much as I, I like uh, having a nice breakfast of locust and wild honey, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll stick with the apostle. All right, uh, next week, what are we going to be talking about, Brother Ben? 
That's a good question, Forrest. As uh, we get started uh, in this uh, new week, we go back to the the questions. We've got a few more left. And uh, it, it takes me back to the um, old uh, the old funny story. The guy asked the pastor, uh, what are you preaching about? He says, sin. He says, what you saying? I'm again it. Um, so it's going to deal with one of the questions that, that we've been asked is really what is sin and how does sin affect us? So that's what we're going to be talking about. All right. Well, we will see you again next week. <laughs>